Welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. Today's podcast is brought to you by Van's Ant Coffee, the best tasting coffee locally roasted here. Go to vansantcoffee.com and place an order today. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, we're here today uh, with Boog Farrell who is uh, somebody I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time now. Uh, this is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. <laughs> you need to meet more people. We've got to get you out of the house. So, Bug, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor and a privilege. Yeah. Well, thanks for just agreeing to be here in the Los Cody Ranch Bar uh, with me and Murphy. Uh, we're also joined today by Murphy Dean. Who said it, yeah. We haven't got a headset for him yet, but anyway, he's here. So, Boog, Farrell, uh, a quick bio for you guys, <laughs> and I'll do the best I can. He's went to high school in Crossroads, Texas, went to Texas A&M, uh, was in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M, graduated from Texas A&M, and currently owns Hearn Surveying, located in Athens, Texas. He also, him and his wife Flo, own and operate Atticus Co. and Modern Goods, which is a clothing uh, knife shop, uh, gift shop. Yeah, stuff. Um, but it's, it's brand new, and it's on Larkin Street in Athens. So if you're driving from Canton on Highway 19, Right before you get to the square, there's a there's a flashing yellow light. You're gonna go over the railroad tracks. There's a flashing yellow right, l- yellow light. Take a right. It's right there on the left. It's where Charlie Bullock's art studio used to be, but it's an awesome store. So if you ever want to buy me a gift, <laughs> buy it there. Um, they carry like Haller Brothers. They carry uh, what else? Bug. Sendero, More Maker Knives, Man Ready Merc. Uh, Nature backs, everything. If you want to buy a good gift for a valued friend, yeah, you got it. And I, I told him, this is for the first time we have a, a spot in Canton or Athens that is good enough that you don't have to go to Dallas. So since he's opened this store now, I don't have to go to Dallas again for anything. and Or Tyler, because I don't really like Tyler. <laughs> and... uh all you listeners out there in Tyler, Texas. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, it's not the people. It's not the people. I was just there today. Yeah. We were just talking about it yesterday. Like, you don't have to go to Dallas. You don't have to go to Tyler. And why would you want to if you don't have to? And you don't have to leave the 903 to have cool things. Like yeah. You don't, have to, you don't have to move to Colorado just to have sweet trails to run on or good beer to drink or whatever. You don't have to go to Colorado to get curves anymore. Right, they have cores here at they the have gas stations. Um, speaking of, behind you, we have a silver bullet, uh, vintage Coors Light neon sign that I was gifted by Patrick Spruill, who was on the last episode. Was also on my second episode. So that's pretty bullet. sweet. That it? is sweet. I love almost like, as sweet as yeah, the Lone Star the sign. Lone Star sign, yeah. Um, so, Bug also is an ultra runner. What's an ultra runner? 
to me, let me just, before he corrects me, <laughs> an ultra runner is somebody that runs further than a marathon. Is that right? I would 100% agree. If okay. you run 26.3, yeah. you're an ultra marathoner. So I'm also an ultra marathoner, and it's because of this guy. Um, I've ran 30.5 miles is my record. How long was the Spartan race we ran? Uh, I don't remember. 76 obstacles, 50K. It was at least 31 miles. It was a 50K. So it was 31? Yeah. Okay. So I my record's 31 miles. I'm going for 31.1 next time I go out for something. But next, the next thing on your running list is the rim to rim. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, <clears throat> kind of like you said, I got you into ultras. Ultras uh, about six years ago, we were at a wedding, and I met a dude named Bryant Baker, and he and his wife Lola live in a bus, and we're river guides all over the country, and just really cool people and uh he had just ran his first marathon and somebody at the wedding told told him he's like you need to go talk to that guy about running ultras so Bryant came up we started talking running and outdoors and just living life and and I told Brian I said hey if you can run 26 miles you can run 62 and which is easy to say it's mm -hmm. probably a lot harder to do but then he showed up at Bandera um that year that might have been like 2015 and ran had never ran an ultra he'd ran a one road marathon and ran bandera 100k 62 miles in the rocky cactusy glory that is bandera and crushed it <coughs> and so uh he and lola moved out to west virginia and they do adventure guiding and uh, they take a lot of kids that can't afford to do outdoors adventures mm -hmm. and they have a foundation that makes it you know financially feasible for these kids to get access to the wilderness and so they decided to put on this race to support that foundation okay. and when people started calling in because it's the first hundred mile race in west virginia yeah. so when people started calling bryant about i don't know i mean i can i can do a 5k i don't know if i can do, yeah. he would tell him well if you can do a marathon you can do a hundred mile right <laughs> so now so i gotta true. do it yeah. yeah and they haven't had a hundred mile race in west virginia no because of deliverance yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, Burt Reynolds personally <coughs> went down there and told him not to not to. That's some scary stuff. All right, a couple of questions for you. What kind of bus do these guys live in? You know, I never saw their bus. <clears throat> but it was a school bus. I'm, a, I'm from what I had heard, it was a school bus. You know, that's called converted in the RV lingo. It's called a schoolie. They they were living in a schoolie. Now, before they moved to West Virginia, they had a diesel pusher. Cause I went, okay. but they were still living in that with two kids Yeah, and uh, just doing life. I could totally do that. And they're not like, they're, they're our age. So they'd been living in a schoolie for 15 years, something like that. And just following the river, they would guide in the hill country. They would guide devil's river. They would guide out in West Virginia. They would go out to just rafting type stuff yeah, or yeah, fishing. No rafting. Fishing. Yeah. Oh, rafting. Okay, cool. Um, cool guy. Isn't it true, though, if you can run uh, a marathon, then you can do twice as far? I've always said that. If you can do a half marathon, you can do a marathon. I Yeah, I mean, I would assume. I mean. And you know you know why? I People are so, they get so wrapped up in their time and yeah. so wrapped up in beating other people. And it's not, to me, that's not what it's about, man. It's no. about, it's about finishing 
I don't, and I don't know. I don't think I've ever won. (laughs) I've never won a race before. Uh, Don't know what that's like. But have you ever won a race? I've I've won some small races. Five k. Yeah. Ten k. Yeah. I've in a twenty five k. I've been top three on like a fifty miler. I was winning for thirty miles or so. Um, I don't know. It's. What do you get? I mean, is it so much badass to to like to win? Is it? it not to me because I'm not. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think kind of like what you and Patrick said last time about the hiking. Like it's about being present. And so for me, yeah. from the beginning, um, my very first trail run. <coughs> excuse me. This is a 25k. And I thought, man, I could win this thing. These guys are running eight-minute miles at Bandera, and I, I could win. I didn't. I was clueless. And so I was in with the leaders for like two miles, and then I had to go off in the bushes and like throw up and almost pass out. And I realized then that I was probably never going to win a trail race, you know, or be like a, a world-class trail runner. I think it's just about being – for me, I grew up hunting in the hill country – and around east texas and just in the hill country especially like just stalking mm-hmm. up and down the mountains and so for me when i get in the woods or when i get in the hills it's just about being being there you know yeah um but i will say that the few times i've been in front like the 50 mile i ran a 50 miler up at texoma and i think it's and we probably experienced this at crossfit too like when you find yourself up front and you're like, well, hell, this is kind of cool. So I wonder how long I can stay there. Like I did a 67 mile race at Tyler state park one time and it was uh, like 11 mile loops. And so the first, the first lap I come in, I'm like, where's the leader? And they're like, you're the leader. I'm like, okay, well then, then it's like, well, I wonder how long I can stay up here just for, you know, well, that's awesome too. Yeah. I mean, for giggles, but it's not like, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be monitoring my mile pace, my, oh, uh, this is not going to be a, pe- you know, if you're one of those serious people that are trying to win it, they may get halfway into the race. And if they're not going to place, they're out, you know, they'll just call it a day. And for me, I'm more like, just do it. Just yeah. go, man. I agree. Like, do you have to do, is this the optional yeah. finish? Like, is this a must do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you toe the line, so it's a must do then. Book and I did a Spartan race uh, that was so much fun. And we get to this. It's cold, man. It's Jan- Is it January? What was it? It was uh, October. It was, o- it was October, but it was freezing balls. It was freezing down in Glen Rose. And we get into this one icy mud pit, and you had to go underwater to get to the other side. And we get down to get in the water, and there a guy a guy runs up behind us and goes, "Excuse me, but is this a must do?" <laughs> <laughs> we were like, "Well, I guess not. I mean, I don't know." And he just kept running. So, not a, not everyone that uh, does the Spartan race is legit because a lot of people just run around the obstacles. Yeah, and then you have to wonder, like, why are you doing it? Right. If you're not there to do it, then why the hell are you doing it? There's a picture of this dude. I I still have it somewhere. I can't remember his name now. But, I mean, the picture I have is probably 10 years old. And the guy in the picture is in his upper 50s. And he's at some race, like, out in 
and he's he's kind of leaned back. He's got like an old cruiser, and he's got his feet kind of up on a chair, and his toes are just gnarly, and he's filthy, and but it, he looks so contented. Yeah. And that's kind of like that's what I'm after. That's what I'm chasing. That's what I was chasing today. Is like I would love to be like my father-in-law is 85 or 83 and plays tennis yep. four times a day. I would good, love good guy. I met him. Yeah, I would love to be like Neil. I'd love to get to be yeah. 80. Yeah. And still being next to some young whippersnapper, and he's like, "Is this a must do?" And I'm I'm going down in there. That's right. what I signed up for. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Why Why not? Uh, I think I think my goal, and I'm not. I'm a I'm a CrossFit coach. I own a CrossFit gym. My goal is to see how far I can go. Yeah. With CrossFit as my training. And you know I'll go out and run with you like on a whim, you know here and there, but I'm not gonna daily run in addition to CrossFit. I'm just gonna do CrossFit workout of the day every day. And then when I go out there, like right now, 31 is my is my PR. I'm trying to get 32 whatever and if i can get that i'm good anything above 31 for me is a win so i'm gonna do that 100 miler with you and if i get to 32 then everything on that is a cherry on top yeah but i'm gonna do what i can to get to 32 and uh to me i mean i'm 37 now i have the rest of my life to get to 30 to get to 40 to get to 60 to get to 100 uh, and i might get to 100 who knows, yeah. you know? Um, but I love running, and I tell people this at CrossFit all the time. A lot of my members come in, and they hate running. I would say 80% of the people that come to CrossFit hate running. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is what I tell them. I say, look, I used to hate running too because when you run and you want to vomit yeah, and you feel like shit, it sucks. Yeah. But you get – Eventually, you get in good enough shape. When you run, It's you don't want to vomit anymore. You feel good. And you can. your head is so clear. You can think just like you think when you take a shower, just like you think mm -hmm. when you're on the lawnmower. You can, you can have ideas and thoughts. And it is a, a kind of a senseless, mindless activity that gets you in shape, that lets you see a bunch of geography and uh you know settings or, or whatever but it is a uh, so relaxing to me yeah but when i started i wanted only i wanted to do is vomit and <laughs> i get that and that's where a lot of people are right now so if you're out there and you're thinking about taking up running just getting get in a good enough shape trust me it comes at some point and wh how do you know when you're there well there's you get a side stitch sometimes mm -hmm. people get this side cramp and I call it the mayonnaise cramp but when you get in a certain level of shape you don't get that anymore I call that the barrier like that's when you know you're in shape running shape mm -hmm. and I don't know what do you think about that I think that's legit I think you, sometimes it has to do with diet but I think you know <laughs> you get to where you can enjoy it and then of course the flip side too is that so at some point you just have to embrace the suck like one of the really cool things about running longer is you get to that uncomfortable miserable state and then like you said about 32 33 miles 100 miles like i think one of the journeys i'm on is just to learn more about myself and you learn a lot about yourself when you get to the suck mm -hmm. and like think it's dark and you're done 
but you still have a long ways to go like that's fun and that can be I've always said like there's no just a like I'm not running just a 5k because you're running a 10k like there's no just a whatever your boundary is that's your wall you got to climb and so I think finding that that suck is really good too um but yeah then when you get fit and I think CrossFit helps that like you're getting generally fit doing CrossFit so even if you're not running every day at CrossFit all of a sudden running is going to get a lot more enjoyable get easier because you're fitter um just like basketball or like rock climbing or hiking or anything yeah yeah I mean I I look too I mean one of the benefits of running is you can like I like to go places and so running has allowed me to go see some things that you would never get to see you could only see on foot you know um Tyler State Park is one of the best single track locations in Texas and they close to bikes anytime it rains. They never close to foot traffic. So, like, I can go run Tyler State Park. If you, now you have to reserve a spot, but you can go run there anytime when people on bikes can't. I got to run across the Nile River when we were in Uganda, and you can't – there's not a footbridge, technically not a footbridge, that you can legally cross the Nile in that part of Uganda. But I'd found on Google Earth where people were – there was a footpath I could tell people were using this rail bridge to cross the river, but it was, you know, it was like a five-mile run to get to it, way off the road. But if I wasn't a runner, I'd have never got to run across the Nile. So tell me about Uganda. Is it on both sides? Is it Uganda, the Nile River, or or is it a border? Right there it is. So there's different branches of the Nile. So that's like the Blue Nile. In fact, we were in Jinja Town, and Jinja is where the source of that, that's where the, it flows out of Lake Victoria. So you're kind of right in the middle of uh, – you're kind of eastern, but generally the middle of Uganda. So Bug and Flo were missionaries in Uganda after college. Is this, is mm. this accurate? No. Okay. <laughs> Uganda's right, though. Give us, give us, <laughs> give us a, uh, a story on that. Oh, gosh. Um, so 2011 – Flo went to Uganda on like a short-term mission trip. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want to go. I remember this vividly. Like she did not want to go, but everything was telling her she needed to go. We were both school teachers at the time. Um, but this is, I mean, we'd been married 10 years and we had, it was kind of on the tail end of us. We had spent like the first couple years of our marriage, like accumulating just stuff. And then we spent like the next eight years of our marriage just trying to simplify life, get rid of stuff, get rid of debt, get rid of stuff that didn't make life more enjoyable. And uh, on the tail end of that, Flo went to Uganda. And when she came back, she talked about um, one of the places they visited because they were kind of on like a survey tour. They're just going around seeing different people doing work. And there's over 500 NGOs working in Uganda. So there's stuff everywhere going on with kids there's tons of international adoption at that time still going on and so they're just visiting kids that are in dire straits and one of the places they went to is the national rehabilitation camp here in Giza national rehabilitation center which is basically the national prison for juveniles in Uganda and uh, that place really stayed with her when she came back it really the stories that she had from that place um, really stuck with me she had there's pictures of of young men in solitary confinement, you know, and there's, there, 
I can still remember just the steel doors with the bars above it and just the hands holding on to the bars, you know, and this is like a, a nine-year-old kid in solitary. Mm. And um, so I told her then, I was like, Flo, we need to go. Like next summer, um, let's go. Let's We're teachers. We got two months. Let's We take the girls. And even if they don't know what we can do, like we can just take out the trash, whatever. I mean, we're just let's just go. I, and, and I've been around church and mission – my whole life, but nothing had struck me like that, that what they were doing mm-hmm. with 60 feet, which is the organization. So in 2012, me and Flo, my wife, my lovely wife, and uh, Grace and Sophie, our daughters, who were three and eight at the time, we all went and lived in Kampala. Kampala was like the colonial, the British colonial capital mm-hmm. of East Africa. So it's a big city, millions of people. And uh, we just stayed and helped Uganda, the 60 Feet Uganda staff. They had, at that time, probably a dozen national staff working in prisons and remand homes and juvenile jails and, and reception center. And we just kind of just did member care, just helped them, fixed cars, loved on kids, uh, fixed meals, took care of teams that came over and just were kind of generally um, helpful during the last two weeks of that. Or for the first month of that, we lived with another family, so that we had never met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had two biological children and two children they'd adopted from Uganda, and uh, it's the Jobses. They live in Forty now. Lucas is a, a colonel in the Air Force, and uh, we just bonded with them immediately. Lived with his complete strangers for a month, then became family. Got uh, mango flies in our skin that I got to dig out of Sophie's skin. Had all kinds of misadventures. Came home check africa off our list we were good um that was a great adventure now we're staying in texas for the rest of our life Mm -hmm. and uh, about six to nine months later um we were having prayer Flo and i were actually up doing like a bible study together and we got an email Mm -hmm. from 60 feet asking us if we would consider going over to be the director and and be there for a one to two year uh, commitment so we we knew then Flo and I don't we don't think a long time about things like we know in our gut if it's the right thing to do and so we told him give us a week but we already knew what we were doing and so the summer of 2013 we moved to Kampala with our girls four and nine at this time and lived for a year 2000 summer of 2013 to summer of 2014 and uh and when we came back Flo went back to teaching and then that's when I I came back and started working with my dad and uh, purchased her and surveying. So it was more recent. It wasn't right yeah. after college. We, I was a land developer right out of college and a real estate broker mm-hmm. and Flo was doing marketing in Dallas. And then we ended up in the 903 for a house. That's, that's, okay. that was a long, I was chasing a rabbit. I was chasing a rabbit. Well, thanks for that. I mean, <laughs> that's so interesting. We could do a whole podcast on that alone, but yeah. you know, doing God's work in Uganda, but wow, you guys, you know how, how much courage it takes to, well, you do, because you did it. But, like, I can't believe, like, for most people, and me, myself included, like, for go over to Africa for two years with your family, with your kids, to help people. That is that is incredible. Well, you know, and it was, it was, it was just an, in a lot of ways. I feel like it was selfish in a lot of ways. Like it was just an adventure. Like I don't to our girls like. A, 
until Van Zet Coffee came to Athens, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it was we had more coffee. You could get fresh coffee. You're in Uganda, so like yeah. fresh specialty coffee right around the corner 24/7. Great French bread. The best uh Indian food and the best Japanese food I've ever had in my life was in Kampala, Uganda. So um you could go to the you know every every little neighborhood has their own little beer joint. Your own little market, you know, everything's within walking distance because everybody's on foot. So I would walk down to the local bar. It looked a lot like the Lost Coyote Ranch bar. It was about wow. this size. It wasn't quite this cool. They didn't have a Lone Star beer sign. Um, wow, and uh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> pick up, pick up a few, you know, bottles of beer, and but you could turn in your empties. They yeah. would take your empties and give you, you know, a discount on the beers you're buying. So I'd walk down there with my little bag of empties and yeah. trade them in for some some Nile special. So and what was the beer? What kind of beer? Tusker is a big one, but that one I think is out of Kenya. And then a uh, Nile special. Nile special was probably the one that was drank the most in Uganda. That's a Ugandan beer. I think Tusker is a Kenyan beer. Can you f- uh, can you fly to Uganda from DFW or how do you get there? So the who knows now what yeah. you would. I had a, we have a good friend that worked with us over there that works for the UN and working against the Boko Haram in Nigeria. And I was talking with her husband the other day and she had to go to nine different countries to get to Nigeria um, because of all the Corona stuff. Yeah. But back then, Mm. the two best ways to go would be to either fly Emirates Mm -hmm. to Dubai Mm -hmm. and then from Dubai to Entebbe which is the Uganda, and there's a U.N. base in Entebbe, so that's big airport there. That's where uh, in uh, Last King of Scotland, that's where uh, Idi Amin, there's still the old historic Ugandan airport, yeah. and there's hills all around it, and that was the thing. Like the, the Israelis came in mm-hmm. and took the hostages, and then they're flying out, and Idi Amin's artillery is on the hills overlooking it. So when you, when you drive in to the Entebbe airport, you're driving below those hills, and there's still all these old, like, 70s and 80s era Russian and other aircraft sitting out there in that old historic uh, airport. And everything's right there. It's like you're driving through a movie set at night. But anyway, you could do that or you could fly British. Um, and that's the that, to me, that's the favorite way. The British, you go DFW, London, Heathrow, and then Heathrow to Entebbe. So it's like a, it's like a nine and nine. When you go Emirates, it's 15 and 5. But with the girls, it was perfect because they'd, I'd never been to Africa. The girls had never been to an Arab country. And so we fly into Dubai at like 1 in the morning, and we stayed in a hotel in the terminal. And, you know, within 10 minutes of landing, we're in our hotel room. But we get out, and the first thing that happens, there's dudes walking around in white robes and everything, and yeah. it's a call to prayer. And yeah. which it was good to get acclimated to that because if you're in Uganda and there's not air conditioning, so your windows are open, yeah. half of you guys, 50% Muslim. So mm-hmm. you're hearing the call to prayer pretty regularly, you know, and you're, yeah. So it was a good, a good cultural acclimation for our girls flying yeah. through Dubai. But first thing I thought about when you said that, it, one of the first major missions I went on in Afghanistan, a lot of stuff, and this is another podcast, but I, uh, it was called Operation Double Stomp. It was in the Dewagal Valley in uh, southern Kunar. And I did a – my team got on a helicopter. It was supposed to be at night, but it was right before night because we couldn't get them – couldn't get the helicopters for that long. So they dropped me off on top of a mountain. We jumped out. We went down to get in our position, and I saw some, some armed uh, – 
didn't know if they were bad guys or good guys, but we find out that they were Afghan security, which basically like local militia security, so they were pretty much good guys. But I was so scared that, you know, since we weren't, it wasn't dark, people, everybody knew we were there. And then, you know, to make a long story short, at one point, one of the guys just stands up and starts yelling. And what he was doing was a call to prayer. Oh, yeah. But it was throughout the whole valley. Hmm. And I, I could have, sw- you know, I d- for that mission, I didn't have my interpreter with me. But <laughs> I was... Uh, I was wondering if he was like, and by the way, <laughs> the, Americans. the Americans are right here beside us. Um, we all made it back that day. Um, anyway, but that was a that was a pucker. I was puckered up right then. Um, yeah, so the call to prayer is a wild deal if you've never, if you've never ex- heard experienced it. it. So, okay, <laughs> let's, sw- let's switch gears a little bit. Um, this can maybe this can be like a survey. Of yeah. all the different things that we're going to talk about one day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, speaking of surveying, Hearn surveying. So I, wow. I've, I've used Hearn surveying, I think, twice. You guys do a great job. Anytime you're buying or selling a property or need something div- divided, they do a awesome job surveying. They're located downtown Athens. If you go to the, once again, on Highway 19, <laughs> go to Athens, hit the courthouse, take a right, and then go one block, and they're on the right, past Athens Brewery. And if you keep going there, there's a Mexican, what's that place called? Del Norte? Yeah, Del Norte. Now yeah. it's uh, Super Meat El Toro, but it used to be, yeah. Super Meat El Toro. The two. Bull. The Bull number two. The Bull number two. Anyway, you can get a good burrito in there. Yeah. You get a good groceries in there. If you don't, if you're too worn down to go to Walmart or Brookshire's. I get, I get a lot of my groceries there. Anyway, um, Texas A&M, uh, little unknown fact by most people, Boog Farrell, who was in the Corps of Cadets, he was a part of Aggie Bonfire, which is a very sensitive, emotional subject for him, but when it collapsed, he was a part of that. And um, another interesting um, chapter to your life. Yeah, yeah, it was, <coughs> yeah, that's how I met Flo, it was because of bonfire collapsing. So, let me get this straight, I've heard this story once or <laughs> twice, maybe not the <laughs> full story, but uh, um, he met Flo, and you tell it. Okay, <laughs> it's happily ever after, the end. Uh, yeah, so actually I met Flo the first week of my fish year, my freshman year at a because she worked at Lupo's bookstore, and my Where's that bookstore at? Is it over there by Northgate? No, it's at Southgate, actually, so it's just across campus from the Dixie Chicken, the other great, Yeah, I mean, maybe the best beer joint in all of Texas, maybe Archie Blue's. I don't know. We're going to talk about that yeah. in a minute. But South, <laughs> South, what's Southgate? Northgate. South, Southgate would be over by Olsen Field, by the baseball field. By the baseball field. field. Yeah. But what Southgate? What what is there? So there was Lupo's bookstore, um, another bookstore. There was uh, there's a Mexican food place there. Now there's a like a I don't know. There's there's t-shirts. It's mainly it's like the t-shirt bookstores. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. yeah. So Flo works at Lupo's, which is this old Aggie establishment, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it's I don't think it's even there anymore. But uh, my roommate, when you're in the core, they just I don't know how it is now. Talking to some of the young guys that just went, I think they yeah. Talking about hold on real quick. Clayton Stern, Davis Young, Clayton House are all fish. Yeah, in the core cadets right now, living their best life now. All from <laughs> Canton or Athens doing cross. From, they did CrossFit. Now they're. Now they're going through it, but go ahead. Yeah. All right. So they give you a roommate. My roommate, my old lady, was uh, Jason Phillips from Atlanta, Texas, which mm-hmm. is where Flo's from, and they knew each other. Flo had actually started out at UNT and then came to transferred into A&M, so she's a year ahead of me. She's class of 99, shoot it. And um, I go to get books, and she was there selling us books, and she knew Jason. So Jason introduced us, mm-hmm. but Flo – completely forgot that she that she ever met me then the second time i met her was because of bonfire and so um chip teal was one of my best friends and in bonfire you have coordinators and you have uh nine of the the coordinators are center pole pots or red pots the way it used to be mm-hmm. and uh they're kind of admin um direction making sure everything gets done but then you have brown pots who are – they kind of support the junior red pots, but they're the only guys walking around with chainsaws. So all a bonfire, 50 acres of wood, um, 85,000 people back then, and I can't remember the num- the hundreds of thousands of tons. When you of say 50 acres of wood, what do you mean? It took 50 acres of forest to build one bonfire. Wow. And so what would happen is a landowner would call, mm-hmm. or usually an old ag, would say, hey, I'm getting ready to build this factory. This happened in uh, Somerville, mm-hmm. which was, I think it was the woods for that fire. But he's like, I'm getting ready. They're going to build a factory. So we're going to have to clear all this. So y'all come and cut. So we would do, we would cut by hand with axes all the wood needed for bonfire. Then over what you, what. You would chop down all the wood. All of it. Axes. Brush, brush, trees, logs, all of it clear it and what would be left is a bunch of stumps but then the coordinators from when it burns until the next october so it burns in november so for the next 11 months the coordinators are out there with d6s and cats and tracos clear finishing the job and clearing it so that they have a good you know site to that's useful um but but yeah so you would have your dorm your core outfit Mm -hmm. um they would come out and you would have a section of woods assigned to you for that Saturday, and you're responsible for cutting everything you can cut in that woods. So generally what would happen in the core is the fish would clear all the brush, and the upperclassmen got to kill the trees, which is the, mm-hmm. the fun part, you know, killing big trees and um, felling trees with axes. Uh, but in the dorms, it was a little more egalitarian, like everybody's just – and so you would learn when you're a coordinator, you would see which outfits were serious and good about killing trees and which ones were just kind of there to check it off their list. Um, but anyway, so brown pots. Yeah, what? Back to – I was telling you, back so, to flow. Yeah, back to flow. So the brown pots carry chainsaws, and yeah. the week that bonfire collapsed, the night that bonfire collapsed, um, with everything at a and there's traditions. And so – with the brown pots, there's a line called the air craps, which Air Force was kind of the – traditionally that position would be an Air Force guy. Um, they passed down their pot, and 
which basically means you're handing your position to the next guy. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. Sam. I was the senior brown pot this year. I'm handing it to Boog. He's going to be the guy next year. Mm-hmm. And it's not like an application process. Like you're just – as you're building bonfire that year, you're watching who works and who who gets mm-hmm. stuff done. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and we used to kind of joke about the other – things you could do at A&M that all had paper applications. There's not an application for bonfire. You work your ass off and you, you live it and people notice, you know? And, um, and so that night chip and his dad in bonfire, his predecessor, Jeremy Frampton, and this older guy, Chris Breen, who was an old aircraft guy that was, had already been out of A&M for four years, but was just one of those guys that always came back kind of like an, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating, but it'd be like an old infantryman, like somebody that's been there and seen it mm-hmm. and that has answers to questions. Chris was up there, and then they had Jerry Don Self, who was going to be the next one. Mm-hmm. And so Chip was handing down his position to Jerry Don, and they were on top of the stack when it collapsed. Mm. And when it collapsed, Chris and Jeremy and Jerry Don all died. And a Chip punctured a lung and mangled a leg and I th- and broke some ribs, um, but otherwise was alive, and ended up in a wheelchair for like six weeks. So, in the core back then, you only had stairs. We had no elevators, so mm-hmm. Chip couldn't get to his dorm room. He had to live with his girlfriend for six weeks, and so Flo was a roommate of his girlfriend at the time, now wife, for almost 20 years, and um, and so every time Flo would come home in the evening. They would open the door and there'd be like 30 guys sitting in the living room drinking beer with Chip because I mean that was our our <laughs> yeah. boy and and uh, and we wanted to be there with them. So I met Flo by storming her house and eating all her food. And I noticed two things: one, <laughs> she was a good cook, yeah. and two, she had great legs and she was gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, but with those guys, like we were all so happily single. Besides Chip, I mean, what's, I was. What's the uh, best meal that Flo can cook? I, Sophie would say Frito pies, but um, <laughs> back then I will tell you what the the deal the deal maker was one night before we were dating. Uh, she made green bean casserole, mm-hmm. and my mom is a great cook. She never made green bean casserole, so I'd never had green bean casserole. Rosemary Farrell. Rose, Rose, Rosie can Foxy Rosie can cook, <laughs> but Flo would put like these crackling things on top. Yeah, There's this crunchy cracklins. and salt. <laughs> oh man, it was just delicious. And uh, and so that that did it. That's and, impressive for a college student to make uh, green bean casserole. Though. Hey, she was a good Flo was a good cook. Her. How, how long did it take you to man up? To how much courage? How long did it take you to oh. intestinal fortitude, aka balls, to ask her? On so a, on a proper <laughs> on a proper date yeah here's what happened i'm i'm i'll it's a pot you said we could talk for like six hours we want so the tr- we want the, the truth the whole truth and nothing but tr- so uh i noticed flow but i mean there's pretty girls everywhere but then one night i came back i'd been at home and i came back from uh being in crossroads and i came first place i wanted to go is go check on chip and um Everybody else had already eaten, but I hadn't eaten because I came from out of town. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of people there, and I'm like, hey, I got to go get something to eat. Does anybody want to go? And Flo was just getting off of work, which is another aside about Flo. One of the things I've always really just respected, I mean, she's a hard worker. She's That's one of the things. We were raised very differently, but one of the things we've both, we've both worked 
job, like real jobs since we were kids. And so Flo had just gotten off work and she's like, I'm hungry. And I got nervous. And I was like, why, why are you getting nervous? It's a girl. There's girl. There's 40,000 girls down here. Why are you nervous mm-hmm. about Flo? And, uh, so I bored her to tears that night with a story about I'd went that summer. I'd went to Europe for a month and backpacked around and some, she, it wasn't impressive to her. And, um, but I knew then I knew when, when she said, I want to go, I got, I was like, this is the one you got the, bu- I got the buzz. I knew Butterf- right there. Butterflies. I was like, yeah. this is the one. So then, uh, that's a weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah. The butterfly feeling. It's, you know, similar to the, when you get on the, you crest the top of the roller coaster and you're about to go down that wait list. Yeah. But you're, man, it's a, it's a, when you're in a fast car and you hit the gas or, you know, in the test, in the Tesla, uh, you hit, you hit uh. the, you hit the accelerator in a Tesla, you get the same feeling, but the butterfly feeling, and it happens when you fall in love too. Yeah. You need to listen to your gut. Yeah. Listen to your gut. Yeah. When did you get that for Ashley? Like, when did you know? Oh, immediately, man. Uh, you ever seen Wayne's World? Yeah. Where Wayne sees Cassandra, and he, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's Wayne or Garth, but one of them just get hit and just falls, yeah. off, the, falls off the chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. That, yeah, yeah. And I think I talked about that in maybe the first podcast about, you know, was at Chase Melton's party, and I'm playing guitar, but I noticed her. You know, there's yeah. a bunch of girls, but she's, like, definitely, the, oh, man, so yeah. beautiful. And anyway, it took. I think it took me two weeks. It's either two days or two weeks, probably two days, uh, to call her and ask her on the date. But, um, yeah, but, you know, just she was so nice and just into me. And that's when, I mean. There was, I mean, but immediately I just knew. I mean, I was, just, I was like, wow, I'm going to do everything I can to get with this lady. This is a once-in-a-lifetime deal for me. Because, you know, all the other <laughs> – also, you know, it, Ashley was from a different town too, which mm. – same with Flo with you. She, Flo, being, Flo being from Atlanta, which Patrick and I were talking about the other day, Atlanta knocked off the uh, 1964 team. This is how Spider Web happened. 1964, Canton Eagles had a perfect record in the regular season. Virgil Melton was on that football team, who's going to be on the podcast here pretty soon. But they got to the playoffs, got to the second round, and Atlanta beat Atlanta them. Atlanta knocked them out, running rads. And they also s- scored – it was the second team to score any points against them. But wow. Anyway, um, yeah, so take us from there. So, So – <clears throat> so you went – all right, so she said she'd go eat, and you, you told some story. Yeah, Try, you tried to impress her yeah, with your and it European didn't, story. Yeah, it didn't, didn't – it crashed and burned. I mean – She doesn't care about like your – Like Tom Cruise, like I'm, I'm going to need something to put out these flames. Yeah. So, like, it was it was bad. And then uh, I go back to Crossroads for something, and that weekend – it's during the winter break. It's during Christmas break. And um, I call – like, I knew Flo was in town because she had a job. So, like – you know, College Station is a ghost town over Christmas. Mm-hmm. and uh, But she had a job, and I had a job. I was working for Slovakic Sausage. I was delivering my sausage all over town, which is a whole other story. And, uh, and so I call her, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, let's go on a date. And she's like, sweet, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, sweet. So, like, in two days, we're going on a date. I drive back. When and she, she said sweet, yeah, and agreed to it. Yeah. 
how much relief did you have at that point? Well, at the moment, a lot. Like, I was like, man, like Flynn. Then I get back to College Station, and I'm staying with a good friend of mine, Chris Osherman, who we call Toasty. And uh, Toasty is like everybody's friend. He's one of those guys, you know, that just everybody loves. Still to this day, like Toasty is Toasty one of, from being just drunk? Toasty? No, well, that's where the name came okay. from, but his name's Osterman. So Chris Osterman, Toasty. I don't. He was in the Corps with us. He has his brothers. All of his brothers are in the Corps. His dad's a general um, in the Army. And uh, Toasty's just one of those guys that we all love. Yeah. And uh, I was—he's an upperclassman. He was already out of the core. I was just crashing on his floor, and I said, "Man, you'll never know who I got a got a date with." And he's like, "Who?" He's like, "Me too." And I'm like, "Well, I got a date with Flo." And he's like, "Me too." So I had a date what? with yeah, I had a date with Flo on like Tuesday, and Chris had a date with her on Wednesday, yeah, and she didn't know that we were good friends, yeah. but. He and they had been friends for a long time, so then all of a sudden my self assurance went through the yeah. r floor because yeah. everybody loves Toasty. And so Flo and I had right. a nice date. We did Johnny Carino's, it was fine. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, and then the, <laughs> the next day, what did you have? Oh, <laughs> uh, so I had like a, a chicken marsala, but Flo had like a I still remember this. She was like, you know, girls, like, I'm gonna order a salad. You're but right. Johnny Carino's salad's like a mountain of salad. So, like, I oh. couldn't even see her on the other side <laughs> of her mountain of salad. And, uh, and you know, Carino's. I was probably talking about wine and stuff because I went to Europe and thought yeah. I knew something. <laughs> it was so lame. It was the worst. I can't believe she stayed for the whole day. This is a pinot gnar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this right here is a red wine. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. the next day I'm driving my sausage truck. I like a sweet wine. <laughs> yeah, go okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm driving my sausage truck all over town, and all I can think about is tonight Flo's going on a date with Toasty, yeah. and my chances are done, you know. And so they go on their date. So if this was a movie, you would drive that sausage truck. Listening to music. Wherever they are. Yeah, yeah, and, and like run and stalk them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I did just – we did the opposite. So okay. we figured out they had a great date. I was like, this is over. I'm done. But then – one of our good friends was working at Vail over the Christmas break. Col she, Colorado. Yeah, Vail, Colorado at the ski resort. And she told us, if y'all can get here, I've got lift tickets. And we were all friends with her. And none of there was me and Chris and then Flo and another friend of ours, Jill, who was actually dating one of our best friends. None of us had any romantic interest. I mean, I was in love with Flo, but nobody really knew that. She had been on a date with Chris and I, and we were all like, hey, no junk. We're just going to go on a ski trip, no shenanigans, and have a good time. We got free. We all were working. Nobody else was in town. We had like four days before the first day of class. Let's do it. So we all load up and drive to Colorado. What kind of vehicle were you all in? We, we were in a 1998 blue three-quarter ton diesel Suburban four-wheel wow. drive. That was yours. That was mine. Yeah, I ran it through a fence. That's another story together. But um, <laughs> we uh, we drove up there and we listened. We had the two things that I can remember is the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack, which had a lot of great Nirvana I and some it. other stuff. I also it had was it. excellent. Red Hot Chili Peppers was on it. Yes, I had it. That was good. One. And then Don Don McLean uh, American Pie. We probably yeah. sang that song about fifteen times. Go up there. Truly, no shenanigans. We ski our ass off. Um, the bartender at the bottom of the slope 
Hawaiian dude named Carlos mm -hmm. made the best Bloody Marys I've ever had in my life. And yeah. after Chris and I bought our first round, he just started giving us rounds. So we'd do a run, come down, he'd give us a round of Bloody Marys. We'd down them, go back up. Um, Are you all skiing black diamonds, blues? You name it. Like we got to do it. We were doing it. And Flo's a pretty good skier. Flo, was, okay. Flo likes skiing blues. She don't want to get too crazy. Um, but – I think we skied, the dude skied three days, the girl skied two days, and they brought us Denny's at the slope. So, no, Subway at the slope. So, we had Denny's the first night we got in town. We had Subway on the slope that the girls brought us. Yeah. Those are the only two solid meals we ate in four days of skiing. We drank all the rest of our food. Um, I did have some sausage balls I brought that my mom had made. And I, they have pictures of me warming them up with a hairdryer in the hotel room. Because <laughs> we didn't have like a condo, like we had yeah. like a motel, literally a Motel Six hotel yeah. room, but no shenanigans. We get back at six in the morning. I have an eight o'clock class, and I leave that class. Flo worked at this fancy clothing place called Charlie's, and uh, I went to Charlie's, and Flo was over there helping a customer, and I left a note that said, "I want, I want to, I want to date you, and I, li I like you a lot, and so let's see where this thing goes." And then is that what it really said? No, it was something I was. I thought I was a poet. I can't remember. She still has. Was it, it a poem or? It was like a no. It was like a letter. It was like, I know you hate me. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a but, lyrics uh, of a song. It was. It might have been. It may be a song now, and uh, and then still that was January, and I was like, let's do spring. Like all of our friends are going to South Padre. Let's let's go. And I remember this distinctly. Flo's like, I don't even know if we'll still be dating then. For spring break. <laughs> but the moment I knew she was different after, like, besides the first, was pretty quick after that. The whole thing with John Rocker in New York came mm -hmm. up. Do you remember that? And he was talking about all the different ethnicities in New York. And I can't even remember all the details of that. But I remember I was like, ah, people just need to chill. Like, And I remember Flo, like, argued with me. And no girl I'd ever dated mm -hmm. would, like, argue with me. And, like, Flo was very it was very clear that Flo has her own path and that I'm welcome to go along or not but she's going to be fine mm -hmm. and I respected that a lot about her and so yeah the rest is history well, John so great. so so Vale and John Rocker is who I have to think Vale and John Rocker We also kissed at the Y2K uh, like the Y2K New Year's Eve night. Yeah. I think, didn't y'all have like a that's, Y2K thing that's too? Where we, that's the first night we met. There was no, there's no kissing involved, unfortunately for me. But, but yeah, that's the night we met Y2K. We thought, you know, might, the world might end. I remember my dad telling me, hey, something might go on crazy tonight. I don't know, man. Just be careful. I was like, all right. Well, you know, believe it or not, so we had the Y2K kiss, and that was before we were dating. And I was just literally, literally, I did say, Flo, I know you hate me, but I, I don't have anybody else to kiss tonight. Can I kiss you at New Year's? And she was like, sure. As we were walking out of the bar, her friends were pulling her aside and like, Flo, you can do so much better yeah. than Mark Farrell. Come on. And uh, thankfully, she didn't listen to them. But then on our first date, at the end of the date, I was like taking her to the door and I was kind of, I was kind of nervous. I was super nervous. I was chicken. And, uh, Flo like grabbed my arm. was like, well, somebody's got to have the balls and like kiss me. But she was like, somebody's got, she literally, she 
That was the quote. She Somebody's said, somebody got somebody has, has somebody has to have the balls. The balls. And then kiss me. Now she probably don't remember that. But she had the balls. She did. Maybe she still does. Do you uh, you get nervous? <laughs> Do you sweat? Yeah, I'm a sweater. Like armpit sweat or what? Belly. 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 Sweat. Ooh, Ar- armpits not as bad. Belly. Belly and back sweat. Yeah. Like this chair is soaked right now. I'm sorry. No, no, man. That's cool. It's leather. You have to get a new chair. No, no, no. That's why I have leather stuff. Uh, I sweat a lot. Obviously, you know, people say like Lisa Kurt was like, yeah, it's medical. Um, growing up, especially through puberty, my armpits just, I mean, literally, you, c- I don't know how I ever stay hydrated. I mean, it could, you know, it's not so much these days. I think I've calmed down these days maybe, but uh, all of my shirts had pit stains. Yeah. I used to think I could wear, remember in high school, everybody wore like a white undershirt mm-hmm. over like a polo or, mm-hmm. or something, thinking that that was going to stop the sweat. That did nothing. Mm-mm. So now I finally realized that tight-fitting shirts make me sweat more. Really? But uh, now to this day, if I get up in front of a class, you know, even in CrossFit, I teach the yeah. class. I, s- I think I sweat a little bit in the armpits. Uh, but, yeah, mostly like top part of my butt. Yeah, my armpits, and obviously, if I if I do a any type of physical activity, I'm just completely drenched. But the the nervous armpit sweat is yeah. something that I've always suffered from. I get excited. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, like if I get excited, like I start getting stoked. Yeah, talking about something, mm-hmm. then I'll start. I just start sweating. But you know what? Like recently, uh, at my church, I played. Uh, couple of christmases ago i played some songs on stage and i've got a my pastor adam henderson radiant church radiant van zant in canton but he showed me a picture of me playing and it's just like me up there playing and <laughs> i look like you know otis <laughs> redding or james brown just like yes. playing sweaty and this like the pits are completely <laughs> drenched <laughs> through my sh- my dress shirt and I go, wow, that's a pretty cool picture, but it's pretty disgusting as well. And uh, he go, no, he said, it's called passion, man. Mm. And uh, I was like, made me feel good. So now I'm like, man, I'm just not, I'm not just kind of a, a dirty, stinky individual. It, passionate. I'm just passionate. Hey, so in Uganda, we would say like worship, mm-hmm. true worship to me, still smells like B.O., because you would be our church that we worshipped with there was all Ugandan. We were the only white people, mm-hmm. and uh, it was in like a metal, like a tin, like a a timber and tin structure, it's a barn, a barn essentially. essentially. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe like three hours of worship, and they had a band, drums. Yeah. How hot is it in Africa, Uganda? So that part of Uganda is really nice. It's like a you're right at a mile elevation on the equator, so it's fifty five to eighty five year round. It's gorgeous it's like colorado yeah but it never gets cold at 55 is as cold as it gets okay 85 is as hot like in the driest it's the colorado driest. in the summertime yes exactly it's glorious it's one of the best parts about being there geographically speaking but um everybody's just sweaty like in a worship service that goes on for three hours in midday yeah. everybody's just drenched and and you can smell, but that was like people worshiping. So it's like the smell of worship is bo. Yeah. So you're just you're just manifesting the spirit, dude. 
What do you say of people that say like, uh, why do you go on mission trips to Africa? What, there's a plenty of people here in the United States that you can yeah, help. That's a valid question. What do you um, s- what do you say about that? Lots of things. Um, <laughs> one, mind your own, mind business. your own damn business. <laughs> um, First of all, okay. Two, uh, each of us should do what we're called to do. You know, we some not everybody's called to go over there. Not everybody had the opportunity to do exactly what we did. So they, we had the opportunity to do what we did. But um, one, it's just like with the store. I mean, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. So for us, like by going and doing, we should also be doing a lot here too by being a light here. Mm-hmm. So like um, back in the, the Romans and the Greeks, like you couldn't, you couldn't go and be active unless you could master living, like get beyond survival. So for us, like we had survival down mm-hmm. and we were doing stuff locally. I was a youth pastor locally. We were working with people locally. And then because of that, we had the opportunity to go. We were faithful in that. So we had opportunity to go do that overseas. But also I think, um, go back to just mind mind your own business because we you you never in my experience you never go over there to do what you think you were going to do mm-hmm. you learn things that you never intended to learn and all of it comes back to here like you bring it back it would be wasted if we went over there because bottom line is ugandans need to help ugandans right I, I can't sit down and counsel a Ugandan kid. I don't know what it's like to be a, a, a victim of war crimes as a Ugandan teenager. Mm-hmm. I'll never know what that's like. I'm not the person to do that. I was in 60 Feet still is the organization that helps support Ugandans doing the work over there. Mm-hmm. So it would be more like we're not going over there to reach Ugandans. Like we were over there to help Ugandans help Ugandans. And – at here, I try to help Americans help Americans, you yeah, know. Right. So it's it's just I think it comes down for us. It's we're just kind of we're travelers, mm-hmm. and so I think God doesn't waste anything. So if God can use me to do stuff like this here, and God's also made me a traveler, then obviously right. I should do the things I can do here. I should do there. Just um, live your life. Just do what you want to do. Yeah, like so. The first time we were over there, we met Jenny. And um, Jenny's not with us anymore, but she's one of the most influential people that Flo and I have ever come across. And um, Jenny and Brad Grothaus have, um, I want to say, 14 14 or 15 children. And five, if I remember correctly, five of them were biological, and they'd adopted all the rest of them. They adopted... I think two little girls out of Liberia in the midst of a civil war, mm-hmm. one of which had just drinking um, out of a jerry can that she thought had water. It had, um, oh gosh, lye in it, and it had eroded her esophagus, and they had to keep her like an emergency state all the way back on the flight. She'd go right off the flight in ICU. Um, and I remember we were feeling guilty because here we are with grace and sophie and we're done like we're not mm-hmm. planning on having any more kids and so we asked jenny then like like what do you think of people like us here you are with these 15 kids and like you're changing all these lives and here we are with grace and sophie and she was just so gracious 
and uh, honest, just like, you know, you're, that's what God's given you, you know. Abraham had what God gave him to take care of. Moses had what he had. Mm-hmm. Jesus had what he had. I have what I have. And if and so if God puts Uganda in my lap and says, go do this, I need to go do it. If God tells me, hey, you sit right here and you farm this one acre and you when when somebody comes by, you treat them with love and respect, then that's what I need to do. Oh, that's great. I that's think powerful. it gets yeah. convoluted when we think, kind of like the what we were talking about earlier with social media. I think where we get off base is if we're like, well, I'm seeing these other people go to Uganda. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess I got to go to Uganda or wherever. Yeah. No, yeah. like you need yeah. to do what you're supposed to do. I had a, oh, a lot of, many times, I won't, I won't say every year, but, you know, when we do the Tribute to Heroes competition at CrossFit Van Zandt, usually we donate the proceeds to APK Charities, whose mm-hmm. name. It's a charity in in honor of Andrew Peterson Kill, who was, who was killed in Afghanistan and one of my best friends. And, and one person put a comment <laughs> on one of my pages one time. was like, I wish uh, you would help a local veteran <laughs> instead of – because, you know, they're, they're, they're from Connecticut. They're out of in Connecticut. And, you know, it goes to uh, – Did they call you cuz the when they the said sp- that? The Special <laughs> Forces Foundation. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well – I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. but you feel free to exactly. you, you to do anything you want to do. Yeah. But what it turns out is you're not doing uh, a mother effing thing. Right. For anyone, probably. You're just negative Nancy on social media. Right. And, you know, that prop, that person probably has emotional issues and stuff. But that's where social media can get you down, get you yeah. negative. You try to do something good, people try to drag you down. Somebody told me one time, they said, uh, maybe it was you. I don't know. I can't remember. But if you have a bowl and you have one crab in there, <laughs> he'll get out. Like if you have a crab and you put them in a bowl, mm-hmm. like say you caught a crab, but not the crab you're thinking of right now, but a crab <laughs> like you know, at the beach. But if you put two in there, they won't get out because every time one person – one of the crabs dra- drag them down, drag them back down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, social media sucks, man. It yeah. it's good for business. It's good. Uh, you know, I have like five pages for all the you know fans and coffee, CrossFit, and Lost Coyote Ranch when I ran for Congress, yada yada yada. But you w- won't believe some of the comments on there, and I I see where people don't even read. You know, a lot of smart people don't even read the comments, but it's uh, you know. People want to be heard, and a lot of it, unfortunately, is negative. It's not – you should be only be allowed to post something positive on <laughs> You know, I think of my dad, like, my dad's one of those guys that he just does what he does. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's offensive. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's completely like, oh, no, that's not right. But what I really respect about him – is he just – he does what he does, and everybody else can jump in the creek if they don't like it. He's not doing it for you. He's not doing yeah. or saying whatever he's saying to make you feel better or feel worse. He's just going to say – and there's – I've found that for me, I'm I'm full disclosure, like I'm pretty political. Like I'm 
my personality is I kind of feel what everybody's feeling in the room and, and I, I get all wrapped up in all the feels. Mm-hmm. And I found myself drawn to people who don't, who just do. Mm-hmm. And that's always been encouraging to me. And I think in the age of social media still, the best route is just to consistently be yourself. Then what do you, what do you, you're never putting on a show. So you never have to go back and undo anything you did because you're just being yourself. They can never say, no, you just did this to appease them or that, Yeah, you know? And I think that's, yeah, people get caught in the trap. I get caught in the trap of trying to be all things to all people. And sometimes you just got to be yourself. Yeah, that's refreshing, though. I mean, I wish I was more like that. I I say I want to say I'm like that. Yeah, but, I'm you not. Know, I, you know, I, I want everybody to love me, you know. And, um, yeah, this is a w- weird time. Weird time we're in. So let's talk about the store. Oh. So Bug has a store, Atticus & Co., which is named after Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. But they have... I was their top customer. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I was, th- when they first opened, before they opened, I went in there, and I probably got on their nerves, but I went in there before they opened, and I bought some stuff. They didn't even have their cash register. I just got it on credit because I wanted to be the top customer. And uh, am I still, or has somebody passed me? I think you've been passed. Well, good for you, not so good for me. <laughs> um why why a store like this huh. um well mainly i think because it's just what flo wanted to do i mean flo's been a teacher for 15 years and um we've always enjoyed the creative process together um there's times when flo was in fact that's how we ended up in uganda flo was buying old furniture and redoing it Mm-hmm. and then reselling it yep. and taking the proceeds. So she's got a creative bent. I have a little bit of a creative streak, and it's been a lot of fun the times when when we've done that together. Um, I've enjoyed entrepreneurship. I never planned on uh, running a surveying business, but uh, since I had the opportunity to do that, I've been having a blast doing it. And, um, and I think Flo had said, you know, I – excuse me. Hey. It happens. Kind of like what we said about going to Uganda, like we should bring it back. Yeah. So Flo and I have seen cool things. We've been to cool places, and we're like, we there's like we said earlier, there's no reason to have to leave Athens to do cool things. And um, and so Flo had this vision of a store. I couldn't see it at all. But every time um, a new place would come up for rent or somebody would vacate one of the old buildings in downtown. Mm-hmm. Other one. Then we would uh, – Sorry, I I just full disclosure, Bugs pouring me a Guinness right now out of the Guinness kegerator. We Oops. would we would look at those spots and wonder, okay, could this be could this be the next the next location? You know, could this be where Flo spends her time instead of you know taking care of other people's kids? And um and Flo's love teaching. She's taught at Eustis ISD. When I was a kid, I thought there was something in the water at Eustis ISD. I couldn't stand Eustis. I had a big rivalry with them in basketball. And, yeah. But from the first day Flo taught there, 
it was a huge blessing. And, like, I could tell this is a special place. Both our kids go to school there. We love Eustis. Can I tell the story about the only touchdown I ever scored? You have to. This is the only time this is ever going to come up. <laughs> but I played I played for Canton High School. And uh, I went to Eustis senior year. I was a linebacker, so I only played defense. So I didn't score touchdowns. And played in Eustis. I'm uh, the middle linebacker for the Eagles. The quarterback rolls out. I watch his eyeballs. There's this big, tall tight end coming around. I know he's going to pass it to him. And I intercept it 65 yards for a touchdown. And uh, it's my finest hour. I haven't done anything since then that has compared to that finest hour of that of that. 65-yard TD. I'm joking, but I loved it. You know, and everybody thought I was slow, but you couldn't. <laughs> Deion Sanders couldn't <laughs> have caught my ass. Deion <laughs> Primetime couldn't have caught me. Now he's going to come on the podcast I'm, to refute the. <laughs> if you know Deion, if you see him at the uh, uh, Down Home Cafe or anywhere in Canton, tell him he has to come on my podcast. I'm going to send him a message, but I'm going to get Deion Sanders on here soon. Um, anyway, Prime couldn't have caught me. And uh, anyway, so, yeah, c- please continue. I don't I want to stay and talk about small town football now. You've, you've piqued my interest. I uh, was a good football player because when I – in eighth grade, I decided I was going to quit football because they, they had me at lineman mm-hmm. in junior high. And I hated it. It sucked. Nobody wants to be a lineman. It yeah. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not a big guy either. And uh, I was going to quit and be in the band because I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and everybody wants to be a rock star. <clears throat> yeah. And they uh, said, uh, fr- friends were like, come on out. So I missed like the two-a-days and everything. But when school started, I just I said, you know what, I'm going to go out and try football. In the first practice, I like intercepted a ball and did a bunch of good plays. <laughs> and they put me on JV like – immediately and so I never played freshman so I was I was a good def- defensive player um and um I think that's kind of how I got into West Point I was kind of partially recruited to play football got there lost 20 over 20 pounds at Beast mm-hmm. Barracks and then I played on the sprint team which that photo over there is for this army sprint football team <laughs> um played there played that for one and a half or two years and then I quit just because I knew that I wasn't – everybody's on a scholarship, so it, it, it didn't matter, and I just wanted to graduate because I really struggled academically. But high school football was a, a great deal. I can't honestly remember that. I can only remember a few plays mm-hmm. because I think I had, seriously, some some head injuries <laughs> because I would – every play was my goal to just crush people, and I took a lot of blows to the head, broke a lot of people's helmets, face mask, and ex- et cetera. Um, but I loved it, man. I love tackling people. <laughs> uh, and and when I quit playing, I remember it took one year or two years when I quit playing. Two years later, we had my at the end of my junior year, we had the goat engineer game at West Point, and it was like the the top of the class versus the bottom of the class. And I played linebacker, and I remember one of my other friends was the quarterback of the other team, and he it was me and him. He rolled out and he was running a quarterback sneak. And I was like, I'm going to murder this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Pat, uh, his name is Pat. I can't, I can't remember his last name. I'll come up with it here in a minute. But 
He just juked me and broke my ankles. I, <laughs> I just fell over. I had lost everything I'd, I used to have. It took two years to lose all my football skills. But anyway, nah, I loved it. Uh, did you Crossroads? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had football. I played at Crossroads. I lettered, literally, I lettered in seven sports. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing else to do. I mean, yeah. I thought I was a basketball player. Because uh, your mom was a good basketball player. Mom was a good basketball player. Dad played uh, college football, and I love basketball and football a lot. Where did your dad, Mark, play at? He played at Hickjick, Henderson County, now TVCC for yeah. two years. Then he went to the University of New Mexico, or oh. New Mexico State. Oh, okay. And uh, and played. They were living out at Las Cruces. Mom and dad got married just a few months after graduating high school. Yeah. And then they went out to Las Cruces. Las Cruces was miserable, and dad hurt his knee, and they came back. And uh, he started working, and then they had Marcy, my oldest sister. Um, but I still remember in our attic at the house they live in now, um, I found a box of letters from every team in the NFL to Dad to come and try out, you know, and oh, really? him to come wow. and try out. But Dad was a good football His older brother, Tony, was also a really good football player. Got recruited to Washington State. What did your dad play? He's a linebacker. He's quarterback and linebacker. But yeah. he made, he went to so New Mexico got, to be a linebacker. Yeah. How tall is he? My dad's six one. Yeah. And but he he was he was all there. My dad was a full grown man in the eighth grade. If you see like yeah. eighth grade pictures of him, <laughs> he is a full grown man. The only difference between him now yeah. and then is the mustache, mustache was yeah. a little thinner then, yeah. but he still had it. Still had it. Um, oh. But my dad had five brothers. My grandma had a son playing football at Malakoff from 1960 to 1980 continuously and missed one football game one year. She missed one of Tony's games while she was giving birth to Dan. And so football was a big deal. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was going to go play football at Trinity University in San Antonio and um, had been accepted. I was going to study political science, was already on a summer workout program for Trinity, and they were going to let me run track too which I enjoyed, and um, literally in June of the summer between my senior year and college, my dad, who's always tends to upset my path, uh, said, I thought you were going to be go to A&M and be an engineer, and then I'd be the surveyor and you'd be the engineer. I was like, Dad, I didn't get into A&M because A&M wanted to know my class rank, mm-hmm. and at the time, you know, it's day-to-day, I was fourth or fifth. Well, so when I was sending my application, back then it wasn't online. I wrote in fourth or fifth. They wouldn't accept my application. So I was just like, screw them. I'll go to Trinity and play football. It'll be fun. And um, Dad said, well, if you could go to A&M, would you go to A&M? I was like, I'm not. They they didn't accept. He's like, well, if you could go, would you go? I'm like, I guess. I don't know. And uh, so I go to church camp, and I come back a week later, and there's a letter on my truck that says, welcome home, Aggie. And so, just fate and my dad's hard-headedness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a few, two months before school started, switched me from playing football at Trinity to to being an Aggie. Wow. And so, but Trinity had just won, like, two Division three. you why know. Did, why did you put fourth or fifth on there? Because that's what I was. <laughs> Come so, on, man. I don't know. I was a slappy. I you didn't put know. fourth. You put fourth. <laughs> and then if, they, wanna, if they ask you, you say, well, I thought it was fourth. I think at this point I'm a hoarder, and so I think at this point I still have both letters where they're like, "You got to clarify." 
mm-hmm. and I never did. And then, and then the uh, the acceptance letter. But yeah, I loved football, and I thought I knew something about football until I went to coach at Eustis and realized I didn't know anything because you just you don't learn at the level yeah. in the high school, oh, just oh, like yeah. with lifting. You don't learn. Yeah. The only thing I'd really – and I know basketball pretty good, fundamentals, but not the game. Um, the only thing I really knew well when I went to coach was running because I'd continued to work on running ever since I'd been a kid. And so I developed my understanding of it and knew how to help people with that. But I also thought I was positive. I thought I was a really positive person. Until I worked with the coaches my first year as a coach and realized that I was probably the most negative person there. Like, I thought I was positive. Mm -hmm. But my first AD, uh, Doug Wendell, was just super. And um, they were so good at trying to help people get in a position to succeed and and them taking responsibility for when they didn't succeed. And uh, that was really challenging. That was another good lesson. So, what do you what do you want to talk about sales wise? Oh, you, man! So I had Logan Thompson on podcast. He's a young guy. He's trying to sell his uh, his online marketing company on top marketing. Well, I use him at CrossFit and uh, at Van Zant Coffee. Now, Boog, you have a store. You have a surveying company. Uh, you give away free coffee. For people to come in there, and of course, it's Van Zant Coffee. It's, it's good. delicious. It's delicious, but you have, you know, it's not the cheapest place to go. It's no. Walmart has cheaper clothes. Yeah, cheaper knives. Yeah, for sure, cheaper. Um, so my first job out of A and M was working for a man named Marcus Smith, who's from uh, Hugh Springs, Texas, and it grew up um, in the land development business. He'd worked for a really big developer, and uh, and then it went out and started his own business and happened to be the father-in-law to a, a guy that worked on Bonfire with me, Josh Broach, and was in the Corps with me. And so um, it was right after 9-11 when I was graduating from A&M. It was December of 2001. Mm-hmm. And there's just – I mean, the economy just stopped after all that um, for a little bit. And so I met Marcus at a tailgate and went to work for him as his first employee and he didn't have any land to sell yet so i just started planting pine trees up at uh between lindale and van at stallion lake ranch which people that drive along i-20 it's right across from garden valley people have seen it um it's a big hay farm and they wanted he wanted trees out there so it wasn't just a big wide open field so for a few months before i got married and before he started having lots available to sell i was just planting pine trees and catching beavers and beaver traps mm-hmm. with a, a former army guy that was a wildlife biologist named Mark McDonald. Um, anyway, Marcus was a consummate salesperson, and I never thought of myself as a salesperson, but Marcus was a really good teacher. We would, at first it was just me and him mm-hmm. in a construction trailer, and we would sit down. Anytime I, he, he was spending so much money to get a phone call, so if the phone rang, it was like a big deal. Like that phone call probably cost $30,000 just to get that one phone to ring. Um, Why? And give us an ex- explanation on So Marcus does acreage. So he still does it. He does acreage sales. So it's different now. Now they do these big events. But back then, 
you would spend all this ad money on KRLD or on uh, ESPN radio and all these big Mm -hmm. radio spots. And he would put up billboards and he'd do direct mailing. So he spent all this money just to get the phone to ring. And then when you answer the phone, the whole point is just to make an appointment because you can't sell. Nobody's going to buy land over a phone. Right. So the first thing was knowing like you're just trying to get an appointment and they're going to give you all kinds of reasons to not to. Um, but we would have, we had a tape recorder mm-hmm. sitting hooked to the phone. I record the call. And so then I'd have to go back and listen to the call. And then Marcus, because it was in the beginning, he would sit down and say, now you you said this. It's like, just imagine, like, we're talking about sweating earlier. Like, he's just sitting there, listen, the man that has your career in his hands, he's sitting there listening to every word you say, who's been doing this his whole life. It's like Neon Dion sitting there talking with you about, hey, what you just did. Yeah. Like, it was <laughs> it was incredible. But it was also just a really good learning. After that, it grew. The company grew quite a bit, and he developed a full sales team and everything. But at first, it was just me and Marcus. And we, Flo and I, when we first got married, we were living in uptown Dallas. So I had an hour and five-minute commute every day. And I would listen to sales training all the way to the ranch and all the way back, unless I was listening to, like, Moulin Rouge or something like that that I could use later at the Spartan race. Yeah, all right. That's a different <laughs> – why did y'all live in Uptown Dallas? So Flo graduated before a year before me. She's ahead of me. And she was working for National Athletic Trainers Association up off of a Stimmons and was living in Las Colinas. Flo's thing had always been she wanted to live within 45 minutes of a mall. <laughs> My th- yeah. <laughs> Malls don't even exist anymore, yeah. so it's a good thing we didn't stick with that strategy. My thing, some of my – I was – Farming ranch management was my degree. And I really wanted to live in the middle of nowhere on like a big ranch, like a bunch of my friends. That's what I have a really good friend who manages actually two mm-hmm. that work for the East Foundation that, that manages huge ranches and resources and everything. That's I want to live out in the middle of nowhere where I didn't have to deal with anybody. But if I was going to live in the city, I wanted to live in the city. I didn't want to live in like a yeah. suburb. And then when we want to go to the Deep Ellum, Go to Eight Airs and get a burger. Or go to Trees and see a, a band. Ah. I didn't want to have to drive. Favorite places. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And so I'm the same way. Where we lived yeah. was at Central and Lemon, and you could be on Deep oh, Ellum yeah. like that quick. And um, it was before Top Golf and everything else had mm-hmm. come into uptown. It was you could tell that was coming. And uh, so we just lived there one year. We got a one bedroom apartment, and uh, at what is now AMLI Apartments. And right there on North Central, and I uh, lived there for a year. Flo would go to Stimmons. I would go to uh, Lindale and sell land, and I was having a blast. I worked every weekend, worked every day during the week when I did work till nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Come home, Flo and I'd go out, go out with our friends, go to a restaurant. We had no kids or anything. Was this when the uh, Mavericks were really good? Mavericks were good. We had Dirk. Yeah. We had uh, Jason Kidd. We had. All kind of, it, they were fun, and yeah. we'd go to a lot of Mavs games. Parcells is the coach of the Cowboys, probably. Yes, back then, yeah. Um, I don't remember going to any Cowboys games because it was – I mean, I was working every yeah. weekend. I could go to Mavs games because it Cowboys was Cowboys games are expensive. Um, yeah. You know, I did – not to get – but I did get to go to the Cowboys in a divisional playoff game against Philadelphia at Texas Stadium. Oh, wow. And uh, was it ninety three, with my brother, my at the time brother in law. That was pretty epic. But um, 
Yeah, we were just living in Uptown. So and Dion was playing. Yeah. I have right. I have Dion's San Francisco 49er card as a magnet on our refrigerator at my parents' house. Still, before I get that autograph for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. when he's on the podcast. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, we lived in Dallas. I was selling land out there, and ever since then, I never thought of my. Ever since then, I've really enjoyed sales. Like I love the sales process because. Marcus's deal, he had 10 steps of sales. The main thing was greet a customer like a friend. And then basically, if I sell Sam 10 acres mm-hmm. of land, I should be able to sit down with you 20 years from now on the porch of the house on the land that I sold you, and you still feel like I did right by you. Okay. Like that type of relational selling was what Marcus was all about, and that's kind of what I internalized. And a lot of the stuff that I learned from Marcus – has I've used all through um, all through my career. So a lot of the things you and Logan were talking about when he was talking about trying to do some things, I wish I could remember everything he said. Now I was like, that is that's a thing. Like what you're talking yeah. about, like that's a that's a thing. And like giving away coffee, Marcus would always say six percent marketing. You got to figure six percent market. You're gonna pay a realtor six percent. Yeah, and you have six percent figured in your budget for marketing. Uh-huh. So you got to spend it if you want to make it. So for co- coffee's cheap. You know, and 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 we're not making a big margin on A and Co shirt like branded shirts, mm-hmm. but that's marketing. So if I want every single person in Henderson County wearing a HSA hat or a A and Co shirt, um, one because I love them and they're my friends and I like them to have cool stuff, but two because then they're walking billboards and they're gonna say those people are really nice. They make me good coffee and they give me a shirt or they sell me a shirt really cheap. That's good. So with the relational. How do you come up with the prices of your goods? Like if if I'm selling if I'm selling my coffee or or whatever I'm buying it for a certain amount. What's the, what's a normal retail store? So Keystone pricing is 50%, which I didn't know before we owned a retail store. What's Keystone? Apparently, it's a really great craft beer <laughs> yes it's hard to come by 17.75 yeah for a 30 pack yeah, yeah it's quality also it's apparently a phrase that means 50 percent markup so you buy a shirt for 10 you sell it for 20, 20 yeah and most of the bigger uh, makers like howler brothers mm-hmm. um, stance they're gonna control they have what map pricing so they're going to control what the people that sell their products can sell it for. Mm-hmm. So that if you come in A&Co and you buy a Howler Brothers shirt, some jack wagon down the road is not selling it for 20% less than what I'm selling it for. Yeah. Or you can't go on Amazon and get it for less than what I'm selling it for. Okay. Like you're going to – so the, there's nothing to lose coming into a local shop. Yeah. That's, you know, taking a risk by buying all this product. So that protects us. Um, some makers don't do that. Uh, more makers, great knife maker. I love buying their products, but they're they're like a thirty percent markup on theirs. Mm-hmm. And so, what you have to start looking at is you have shipping costs, and, and we have labor costs, we have rent, we have utilities, all those other things that yeah. fi- figure in there. So, if those margins are less on a good, then you may not, you know, it may not be worth it to sell it. There's right. a, there's been makers that we would love to carry their stuff. Um, but they say, well, you know, we can pay like a 10% commission or something like that. Or or you can charge what you want to, 
but they're going to be selling it for less on their webpage. Right. Well, why would, you know, in this day and age, why would anybody come in our <clears> shop yeah. and buy it? So, um, that's the deal with, with, you know, how many square foot is Atticus and Co? The store part is about a thousand. Thousand. It's the same thing with CrossFit Van Zandt. Like, we're coaches. Yeah, we, we give you coaching. Of course, it's more expensive than going to Anytime Fitness. But I, I set the prices because it's a boutique. I know what I have to charge to be happy doing it. Because if if you could make a lot more money going and working, managing Walmart or managing McDonald's or, you know, whatever you can do with a college degree somewhere else, then you might as well do that. You It has to be a... Uh, it has to be a uh, a viable business, and when you have so many square feet as a boutique store, like yes, it's going to be more expensive, but you have to justify doing it. It's just economics. Yeah, and um, it's always interesting to me how how like you or like Paul Michael Company, the furniture guy in Canton, how how you come up with the prices, and and ha- you know. How? What's too much? What's too? What's too right. cheap? What's too too expensive? And and it's also hard in Athens and Canton that you know people. For the most part, you know, it's not uptown Dallas. It's not luxury. Mm-hmm. So people are you know watching their money and and. Um, but I always thought like I'm gonna charge what like I would be comfortable paying. Yeah. And it's not very good to put your own. Uh, thoughts and stigma and emotional ties to money on other people. Right. But if you're like most other people, then I guess it's okay. Yeah. Well, and like, like founder farmer guy, what's his name? Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper says that, you know, you can't put your buying habits on your customers. Most of your customers probably make more money than you. And I think too, so thinking back to Marcus, one of the things that we would find is sometimes we'd have lots priced too cheap. People would not perceive value in that property because it was priced the same as another more bland property. And yeah. they would look at it and not buy it. They'd look at it and not buy it. And then you bump the price up. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it sells. And it's like because they perceive people perceive value by number. Yeah. And um so sometimes, you know, you people act irrationally, but it's uh I lost my train of thought. I'm do you old. have, <laughs> well, you know, oh. here, and here's another thing. Do you have, like, Ford has has the uh, the XL. Mm-hmm. They've got the XLT. Mm-hmm. They have the Lariat. Mm-hmm. They have the King Ranch. They have the Platinum, mm-hmm. and then they have the Limited. And I think I got those in the right I think so. order. But they have the work truck, and then they also have, they have the luxury truck. It's mm-hmm. still the same truck. One's just more luxury. One's way more expensive, and we're talking to the tune of twenty thousand dollars more expensive, probably. Do you have that at your store? Do you have uh, different? So at our store, no. I would say like your your work truck is probably going to be a different store. Like your work truck, when it comes to outerwear for men, is going to be at Academy. You can get a Magellan shirt for nineteen ninety nine. You know, and sometimes less than that, if they're doing a sale, and they're doing sales all the time because they're trying to get rid of all their crap. Hey, make a you note know. of uh, Murphy. Make a note of to to hide all the Magellan stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love Magellan. I have tons. <laughs> of, I drive the XL. I, I but um, 
you know, they, they have that yeah. in bulk. And so we are going to be – what we've tried to do is have, you know, XLT to limited on everything. But in some product, products, anybody could walk in there and buy the limited. You know, it may be right. a coffee cup, but it's going to be a really nice coffee cup. The price point is not going to be the same as, say, a Bradley Mountain hand-sewn, hand-bratted uh, leather and canvas backpacks, $328. Like, the 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 Lariat and the coffee cup's not going to cost the same as that, but it's still a Lariat. And so you can right. still get good quality. And that's kind of our thing is at, we want good quality. At what point in a consumer's life do they buy – do they decide to buy something once mm-hmm. as opposed to buying something cheap right. multiple times? Right. And you and I have talked about that a lot. Like I I grew up, and I, like I said, I, I love my dad. I respect him. But he'll buy – he's probably – I don't know how many Poulon or Poulin or whatever chainsaws he's ever bought, mm-hmm. at least a dozen since that I can remember. And I have one steel chainsaw. <laughs> and with Bonfire, <laughs> we use steel O26s. And that, so I'm a little bit biased, but I'm like, I want a steel 026. And then you have one, and I never have to buy another one. I bought a steel weed eater, edger, and blower when Flo and I first moved to Athens in 2002, mm-hmm. 2003. And I still have two of them. I, I had the blower, it was That's still working, but I gave it to a friend. That's 17 years ago. It's 20 minus three. Yeah. 17. 17 years of using quality yep. as opposed to buying cr- – there's no telling how many Walmart yeah. weed eaters I'd have went through. Um, grill, like a, a barbecue grill. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I finally bought a Weber. Why? 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 <laughs> Why did I wait 17 years to buy a Weber? And I set it at 450, and guess what? I walk away and I come back. It's at 450 and no grill I've ever had in my life did that. But who wants to spend $400 on a grill? Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I bought, like, probably 10 yeah. $130 grills. Yeah. I mean, good gravy. But, you know, working going back to Marcus, working for him, he had that. Like, he, we had the Target lot. We had the, the yeah. two acres for nineteen nine ninety nine. But then you had, like, a $100,000 waterfront lot. We never walk somebody to the waterfront lot for a hundred thousand dollars and show it to them. You always show them the nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. and it's there. Like for us, it was a three hour tour, like Gilligan's or whatever. Like we spent the first two hours just getting you familiar with the land. It was a ranch, mm-hmm. so what did this place used to be? What is this neighborhood like? What am I like? Can you trust me? Da 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 da. All these amenities, and then here's the buying process. If you're gonna buy a nineteen ninety nine lot. Here's what the financing's like. Here's when closing would be. Here's what we do. Here's what you do. Mm-hmm. If you want to do that, then you should. You don't. If they can't, that's called uh, um, point of action. What's it called? Um, I don't know. Not point of action. Call to action. Call to you're action. Basically, you're just mapping out like. If you want to do this, this here's is what exactly you, ha- what you have to yeah. do. And you do the the math and yeah. walk through it it's easy yeah and then on the on the internet on an ad on the internet it's join us here yeah and have a link to where you go yeah and that's what you do and it takes you through step by step otherwise people are like well what the hell do i do yeah people call me on the phone all the time and say excuse me uh what are your class times again yeah how much is it it's like 
just ask your phone. Yeah. Just say, it's hey, there. Uh, Siri, what are the class times at CrossFit Van? I'm sure she would say it. Or go to the website. It's all on the website. Yeah. I know that, but people don't want to do that work. Mm-hmm. I have. To, I you need to have it planned out. And ma- okay. Yeah. Right. No, and I. I uh, so s- you and Patrick talking about Austin a few weeks ago it was glorious. I really enjoyed that episode. And you're welcome. And, and so, like Flo and I love South Congress Hotel. It's you know it's yeah. newish. Um, really, really sweet. Can I? Can yeah. I? I'm. This is supposed to be an interview with you, but I like to talk a lot, and I'm yeah. sorry. I saw Warren G. sing Regulators at the South Congress Hotel or Austin Motel. Which is the one on South Congress? Uh, both of them. Yeah. Austin Hotel Austin Hotel is a little bit further north. But it's on South, South Congress. Yeah, they're both on South I'm Congress. Sorry. No. S- they're so both, but they're in their same ho- hotelier or whatever, however yeah. you say that, same person. South by Southwest one year. Yeah. My, my preacher, Adam Henderson, and I went, and Michael Spruill. Uh-huh. And we got in there. Warren G was singing Regulators Pool. The G Child in need of something. It's glorious. Go ahead. All right. You and so, yeah. uh, every page on South Congress Hotel's webpage, which mm-hmm. is really sweet and efficient, every single frame has book now. Call to action. Book now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and when you're looking at it, you're like, hell yeah, I want a book now. Now, just as an aside, what I didn't know about South Congress Hotel. Have you ever stayed there? Nope. Oh, it's glorious. All right. So I saw when we looked at the webpage, they have like these fancy showers with this full-length glass and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, s- the styling is impeccable. Like some of the just really intense, good design on all these hotels. Like I've never seen stayed any place like that. But you go in the bathroom, and there's this gorgeous walk-in shower with a glass wall that – faces the bedroom i assumed maybe that like that steams up or something so i'm i'm reading you know what outsider magazine or something flows going in there to take a shower to get ready to go out for the night and i look over and there's flow taking a shower like every single room has a shower that is open to the rest of the room which is highly distractive if you're trying he, to read a magazine in your life. And what kind of music's playing in your head at that point? Like you see her. So it's just it's just glass. It's just glass. Yeah. It's awesome. But we've thought about taking the girls to Austin Ooh. and we'd love to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> but I <That> mean, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be, wouldn't be the know. same. Did you yeah. guys? Was that the honeymoon suite? No, it, that's yeah. just the regular. It's just fancy. It's bougie. There was some hotel in Canton, one of the Motel Six, that said it had like a jacuzzi tub. And I'm thinking, I think I don't know if I know this, but we had a party there one night, and there was like a it's like a heart shaped mm. bathtub with jets in it. Anyway, one of the most, one of the, I think the one over there by the landfill, wh- and by <laughs> by Waterburger, <laughs> at one point had that. Anyway, so cool hotel, cool hotel, call to action. Uh, now you got me thinking about Seven F Lodge and College Station. You know, every one of their lodges, which y'all need to go sometime. Yeah, it's a great place in Welburn, Texas, outside of College Station. They have France, Mexico, Hill Country. House of Blues with a guitar and an amp in the room for you. 
You don't have to go through any check-in procedure. Like, you make your reservation. Mm -hmm. You show up. They tell you where the key's hidden. Spain is my favorite one. It looks like an old Spanish mission. You never have to see another soul. Yeah. It's not a place to take kids. But not because it's crazy. It's just because it's it's really where you can go. and Those just are the best places, the places you're not supposed to take kids. <laughs> Usually, yeah. Because places you're supposed to take kids are terrible. Yeah, because it's full of other people's kids. And uh, <laughs> But every every single one, they have a jacuzzi tub. And yeah. in most of them, that's the – and it's in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's the only place to take a bath in your whole cabin. Yeah. There's no shower. Like there's a yeah. there's a heart in the Mexico has a tin roof or tin ceiling and a heart a red heart shaped jacuzzi tub. <laughs> I mean it's but it's it's Mexico. Yeah. And uh yeah. So I'm I'm a fan and Flo and I've tried to go there once a year, every year that we've been married. It hasn't always happened, but you need and there's no TVs, no yeah, no cell service there, so it's it's, it's nice. been a while. I mean, since we have the motorhome, like we take Yeah, you that, have your own 7F. We take that everywhere, and uh, we love it. And, of course, we also, when we use it, we justify having it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, look at all the money I'm saving on hotel fees. And it's <laughs> like, well, we've been paying for this thing every month, too. But um, Have you ever been bit by a snake? I have not been bitten by a snake. <clears throat> With surveying, we see a bunch um, yeah. Copperheads, timber rattlers, cop cottonmouths. Um, they used to love throwing snakes in the suburban with a new guy on his first day. Mm -hmm. And um, those little suburbans they had the wood boxes in the back with all the survey crew or all the survey equipment, and then the snake would get, you know, smushed underneath there. And you have a dead snake in your car that made it smell great. Um, hmm. But I haven't. A good friend of mine, Trey Dyer, who is one of those ranch guys I was talking about earlier. Trey, when he was about 12, I think, um, he's from Abilene, was out with his with some people and and got bit on the ankle. And I knew Trey for three years before I saw this. We were fishing one time, and I looked back, and he had a scar that went from his ankle to his hip, about an inch, inch and a half wide from his ankle oh, to wow. his hip. And it was from where they had to – he got bit by a rattlesnake and mm -hmm. split his leg open. And uh, so that – that confirmed my desire to not get bit by a snake. Speaking of snake bites, have you ever seen Mud with Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's a good that movie. That was a good movie, yeah. That was solid. It reminds me of uh, River Rat with Brian Dennehy. And uh, I can't remember who the girl was in that one. Did you ever see that one? That would have been – I was, like, young. No, River some, Rat. Oh. That was Brian Dennehy and uh, who else? They're living out on the river. It was very similar feel to Mud. Mm -hmm. um, is a good, I'm a little bit of a cinephile There's not a McConaughey film that's not Entertaining Dude That guy's incredible Daisy Confused Daisy Confused From the get go The guy was money Yeah Like I love I don't Is there anybody that doesn't like him? Hmm Aggies maybe Because he's a He's a professor at Yeah UT, but, but You know, you know but In the real world they, no. Inside <laughs> they like him I mean yeah. that what a cool dude. He's, He's just, just a cool, cool guy. Even, uh, yeah. So the place that, the you know, the Pecan Grove that we stay in Austin when we take our motorhome down, little RV park, which hopefully we haven't stayed there for our last time, but we might we might have because of the management change. But apparently McConaughey lived there for a f couple of years in an, oh, air, really? in an Airstream there. It's, it's right there on Barton Springs, right by Chewy's and... Shady Grove 
burgers just shut down apparently with the oh coronavirus really? like closed their doors for good but wow um yeah mud was a good movie favorite mcconaughey <laughs> Maca- performance mcconaughey mcconaughey <laughs> that too uh, okay um the first True Detective season with him and Woody Harrelson. Have you seen it? No. How do you call yourself a McConaughey fan? That's a TV show. It? It's an HBO show, so series. True Detective with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson was incredible. Really? And he was drinking Lone Star, so he's getting interviewed. He's a cop, but they're interviewing him. I think he's like in prison or something. I don't know, but he's sitting there, and he's drinking Lone Star Tall Boys and like, you know, telling the story or whatever, but um, that's incredible. Um, Have you seen Lone Star? No. no. I, I mean, here I go. Because you know he's yeah. he's yeah he's that was an old that's an old one. he's yeah. Of course, Dallas Buyers Club. He won the yeah. I never saw. Os- I haven't seen that yet. That's incredible too. Yeah, I've heard. I've watched uh, a snippet. It's not a kit, you know. I yeah, I wouldn't right. watch it with children. Neither would obviously True Detective. Yeah. But uh, those True Detective things are great. Um, I believe every episode is done by a different director. Oh yeah. But um they're they're phenomenal. There's been three seasons. Favorite Woody Harrelson role. Would it be also true detective or Kingpin? <laughs> we don't have any bulls. Kingpin. We don't have any cows. We have a bull. I wanna get Munson uh, out in the yeah. middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh my god. Like that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you really jarred something loose there, Tiger. And he's throwing <laughs> as he's throwing up in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in like several of those yeah. Pirelli or Pirelli movies. Fairly Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um No Kingpin. Kingpin is uh <laughs> it's so underrated. You don't hear about it a lot, man. But Bill Murray. hmm Hey, didn't I tell you to call me Ernie or Big Ern? <laughs> So, you know, he's like, "What's all that sugar for?" You know, he put sugar in his tank yeah. and messed his car up. I love that. That movie yeah. is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, that was my favorite Woody movie. But you know, like I like that Zombieland movie. Did you see Zombieland? I hadn't seen it. It was good. I uh, would probably like it. Um, Woody Harrelson though is is also he's one of those people that unique. you love. Yeah. Um. There was a movie called Palmetto with Woody yeah. Harrelson and yeah. Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue, everybody's girlfriend. And we were talking about that with the girls this weekend because oh, of uh, what is she, Karate Kid one. Wow. And like Flo said, like she was everybody's girlfriend. Well, I watched Palmetto a lot, yeah. of, a lot of times, and it wasn't because of Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. No, she she was good. Um, She's yeah. good in the Saint like that. Val Kilmer would have been boring as hell in The Saint if it wasn't for Elizabeth Shue. So I met, Ash and I met Val Kilmer at a Maverick game. Really? Uh, one time we went to this charity <coughs> thing. We bought Mavericks tickets uh, to raise money for the, f- the firefighter fund. And uh, I was like, well, these are probably going to be good tickets. And I remember we actually had a Toyota Prius at the time. And uh, I looked at the tickets when we got them, and they – the face value of the tickets was like six hundred and something dollars. So I was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> these must be incredible." So we drive the Prius. I've never parked under American Airlines mm-hmm. Center, like underneath it, <laughs> and we pull up, and it's like Ferrari, Porsche, <laughs> Prius. <you> know, <laughs> Prius. So like I'm backing in, 
and we get in the elevator, and Don Nelson, who used to be the coach, yeah. his his son is like the gen- the GM or something of the Mavericks, maybe. He's in the elevator with us, and I'm like, okay, well, cool. And then we walk through the tunnel, and like Mavericks locker room is right there, like the door to it. Yeah. And we walk through the tunnel, and we're sitting on the floor, like not in the first row. There's three rows of uh, folding chairs. Yeah. We're in the second row. But Val Kilmer's in the tunnel, and I'm like, Ashley. <laughs> I'm like, it's Batman. <laughs> Only thing I can think about is Batman. Oh, Doc Which Holliday. might have been his worst movie, yeah. maybe. But he wasn't, he was like, I think he was shorter than me. He was yeah. in town doing the, uh, um, he did a uh, Mark Twain Broadway oh, cool. thing at the Majestic. Uh, yeah. So he was did a Broadway show about Mark Twain, or uh, theater. Anyway, hey, he was super nice. Hey, how you doing? You know, it's like, man, Val Kilmer, I like, love this guy. Um, that's when, like, uh, Vince Carter and everybody played for the yeah. Mavericks. It wasn't that long ago. Probably in 2014, 15. And, uh, like, the we would be there in the tunnel, and the Mavericks would come off, and they would just – and, like, I got, like – I think I, – I don't know. I can't remember what I did. But, like, I, sp- I was able to speak to, like, Dirk and, and uh, mm. you know, say, like, good game, guys. You know, something like that. But, anyway, that was – that was cool. Val Kilmer, Doc Holliday, Tombstone. Every night when – probably – sophomore junior year we mm-hmm. would get done at the bird close it down Scott at the Jarvis, bird you mean the dixie, the dixie chicken, chicken yeah. serve more beer per square foot than any other beer joint in america at one time they got um, a rattlesnake in there they have rattlesnakes in there they have pool tables i I practically lived in there what kind of beer did you drink when lone you were there? Star. Okay. lone star lone star in a pitcher lone star no no uh it depends um depends but usually one dollar long necks. Okay. All dollar right. long necks. All right. Stop real quick. You go into Dixie Chicken. You go to the front bar. See, wh- where? what door do you go in? The back or the front? Uh, tell, take me through. You just walk. You're walking uh, in. What? Back or the front? Do you, and take me through, like, exactly what you would do to try to look cool or whatever you were doing at that time. Or Go ahead. All right. So, we used to be able to park in the back. Mm-hmm. And Still it was just do. A, now we do because now pay, we pay. You got to pay the meter, yeah. Back then you could park back there for free. It was just a vacant lot. And so we would go park in the ghetto. We've had literal guns pulled on us, almost gotten fights for ever and get in the bar. Walk in the back door. There was a lady, there was a grill, a lady that worked. Yeah, like the kitchen's line, a little Line yeah. cook. It was there for years. Mm-hmm. And then a good friend of ours, Hans Betten, was there for years. And some of that, so – but walk straight to the front bar up yep. by the road mm-hmm. and uh, dollar lock, you know, get a long neck for whoever's with me. And then if you walk up to the front bar facing college, yeah. facing the, the university, there's a like a bar coming back towards the back of the bar. There's like a trash can right there, but there's just a flat, almost lower than counter height bar that served no purpose. Mm-hmm. So the purpose was that's where we would sit. So – I would go get my long neck and sit mm-hmm. right there, and then we would hold court. And back then, you could still smoke. Yep. And everybody's in there shoulder to shoulder, and you sm- you're breathing everybody's secondhand smoke, and uh, and drinking dollar long necks all night. Okay. That was that was, that was perfect night. Do you ever play pool there? Every once in a while. Yeah. 
I mean. So it's hard to – if I go there now, it's hard to find a seat in there. Like, it's, yeah. it's packed, you know. Yeah. If you go on the weekend, it is. And Flo and I, one of our favorite things is still to go on, you know, in the middle of the day and just mm-hmm. get a burger. Their griddle burgers They're are some great. of the best burgers yeah. ever. And it's simple. I always got the patty melt in there. Yeah, and the yeah. patty melt. It's glorious. Um, they put I, I think they put ice in the urinal or something. Yeah, they'd have too. ice in urinals. Yeah. Um, there just, was it's a nice touch, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> super classy, super classy. There's I don't know that the, I've I've used uh port you know outhouses in Uganda in a third world country where you like if you step wrong you're gonna fall off in everybody's waist. Yeah. And I've, I don't I've those that. are really close to yeah. the Dixie Chicken bathrooms. Like they're yeah. pretty horrible but i do know in the girls um there is a a, there's a there's things written on the walls you know in Mm -hmm. in the bathroom some of it gets cleaned off some of it's always there um in the guys bathroom um there's stuff for um the guys we lost at bonfire but also some of a lot of our active service uh core guys that we lost and and their kia or missing and um so some of that stuff stays and in the girls. I can't remember everything that's in the girls' bathroom, but one of the the perennial things. How the hell is, do you know? Well, because sometimes the boys is is out of order. Or you just can't wait, and so you just dump yep. in there. Like the dudes had like a trough mm-hmm. and another trough and a one holer, and I think the girls, if I remember, the girls had a one holer in the whole joint. Wow. And uh, and there was a, a saying in there: uh, "Don't sweat the petty stuff, pet the sweaty stuff." And so, <laughs> <laughs> don't sweat the petty stuff. Pet, Pet the, the sweaty, sweaty stuff. stuff. So Flo and I, like, we communicate through movie quotes primarily, uh-huh. but every once in a while from Aggie quotes, and that's one of our Aggie quotes that uh, that we rely on sometimes. Like, just uh, what hey. what book of the Bible is that from? Uh, uh, it's uh, John, probably. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, so that's good. That would be that would be you know, and sometimes we ended up on the back porch. Um, Sometimes you yeah. go through, get a few long necks, and then head next door to the dry bean so you get some liquor. Um, dry bean, or, or are we talking uh, Dudley's Draw? Or No, Dudley's Draw is to the left, which will okay. be to the, I guess, the east. Um, no, dry bean was also owned by Don Ganner, the late Don Ganner. There was Bottle Cap Alley between the Dixie Chicken and the dry bean, and it was a shot bar. It was a long season. It was literally as wide as from this bar, probably six, eight feet wide. So, what kind of liquor would you get over there? Oh, you could get anything. I, um, I had a friend. Uh, we called him Drusifer. What would you drink over there if you went over there? Like one turkey and seven, almost all the time. Wild turkey. Wild turkey and seven, and seven up. up. That was a, a glass on ice. Yeah, it, yeah, so yeah. At at the dry bean, turkey and seven, or just uh, whiskey, but uh. Turkey was a deal with bonfire. Um, all center pole pots had to drink uh, wild turkey at some point. Yeah. And uh, and there was a guy, Drew Gibson, that ended up becoming a, a criminal defense attorney that actually had his office right up, upstairs and over from the chicken. Mm-hmm. And he's he would provide a, a reasonable doubt for a reasonable fee. Um, so Drew always he was one of those old ags that would hang around. He would drink turkey and sevens. So usually at the dry bean turkey and sevens, um, at the P-tar, flaming Dr. Peppers, um, Long Island iced teas. What's the, what's the P-tar? P-tar was a ptarmigan. Mm-hmm. It's a bird, but it's spelled with a silent P. So we would call it the P-tar. It was over in Bryan. It's kind of the, the 
kind of the shadier part of Brian's, an old dive bar. Mm-hmm. If it's still there, like, we need to go. Okay. It was sure enough dive bar. Back then, it was kind of popular with some of the frats, fraternities, um, but only, you know, sparsely popular. as many locals as, as college kids. Yeah. Um, but they, they're flaming Dr. Pepper. They always had flaming Dr. Peppers. And uh, a lot of sugary alcoholic yeah. drinks. You know, I don't drink that kind of stuff anymore. The uh, What other cool places were there? Um, mm. I think I went to Dudley's. We went to Mad Hatter's. Yeah, I never went to Mad Hatter's. Um, so Shadow Canyon was, was the music place. Yeah, right? yeah, so we saw the Dixie Chicks there when they, they played Shadow Canyon. Yeah. Yeah, it was maybe two years when they played Reed Arena. It must be before wide open spaces oh it was it was i had a a friend at the time that uh owned the studio where they recorded before wide open spaces and uh we saw him back then flo's roommate was dating pat green's drummer and so they were following him all over the place and he would play Mm -hmm. shadow canyon you saw all kinds of good acts in shadow canyon before so Um, you were down there in the midst of pat green and all those yeah yeah uh, you were there when my brother was there, uh, Luke. He he graduated in two thousand five. Yeah, from A and M. Yeah, so I was there. I graduated. You know, I was class two thousand. So I graduated okay. in one. But um, so I guess yeah, he'd been there one year probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah, back then Pat Green was coming to town a lot. Um, we had a friend, Mark David Manders, out of San Angelo, that came and played there a lot, and uh, he's one of those guys who's never made it huge, but was really good. And he would come park his bus at our house once we were out of the core after they'd play a show. And then we'd have an after party at our house. And uh, Another cool place, Dixie, the Dixie Theater in old old downtown Bryan. Um, Robert O'Keefe in uh, the Front Porch song talks about the old LaSalle Hotel and the old downtown. Mm-hmm. And the burritos with lots of cheese and onions. Yeah. Um, that's at the. Guacamole yeah, salad. That's at Los Norteños, which Los Norteños was a Mexican food joint that used to be in the bottom floor of the hotel. Yeah. And then when the hotel, the old LaSalle Hotel shut down, they kept the Mexican food restaurant. So where where was uh, Robert O'Keefe's porch and Lyle Lovett, right? Are they so they were across the street from the Dixie Chicken. Okay. Which now there's a huge. Um, Brewery commercial dorm actually there okay now. and they yeah. talk about that like they tore it down to make room for you know a uh, big high-rise dorm in yeah. the in robert O'Keefe undone tribute album uh i can't think of the artist that plays the front porch song but he talks about it and uh, that was right so when when i first got to a&m there was a vacant lot behind the bird mm-hmm. it was like a no man's land and then across the street were those houses and the front porch was one of their rent houses that they had back there yeah and uh then they bulldozed all that. They put in that pay lot behind the bird, and then they built a huge uh, private dorm. And my aunt, by marriage, is a Chinese artist and actually painted a mural for the commercial dorm that tore down the front porch wow. on Robert O'Keefe's house. And I'm in the mural. So you are? In a way, I tore down So you are front. responsible. I'm responsible for tearing down the front porch. Tell Robert O'Keefe yeah. he can talk to me. Interesting. So you've told me before that it's one of your missions to go to the best barbecue place in Texas and go to the best bars. I've said that, look, anytime you're ready, 
We can get in the motor home. Yeah. We need to take a guy's trip and you can go sure. hit all these places. What are the best, the top, um, since we're on bars, let's talk about yeah. top bars for a minute. Uh, the place that you gave me was, was Arky Blues and Bandera. We went oh, yeah. there when we ran the Spartan race. Sorry, when we ran Band. Yeah. I'm sorry. When we ran Bandera, we went to Arky Blues yeah. this year. And what a cool place. The Dolly Parton pinball machine. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't quit looking at it. <laughs> Dolly Parton was something to look at. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the Lone Stars, I think there were $3, but that was good. I thought it was you. <laughs> no, it was, oh, I'm supposed to say it. <laughs> the, uh, so, Arky Blues. That, yeah, that's Arky that Blues. From Robert O'Keefe. Yeah. Um, Standing there on Main Street across from Mr. Blues. Feeling good again. Yeah. That was a cool spot. Uh, yeah. I like uh, Lakewood Landing in Dallas. Which I need to go to. Flo and I almost lived in Lakewood Landing. And when we were when we came to Athens, that's what we were – not Lakewood Landing, we were in Lakewood. Um, so I would have found it. Yeah. But instead, came to Athens. Best bars. There's a uh, town of Harper, Texas back then. A lot of the places that are my favorite places I don't haven't been to in several years. I don't know if they're even still – open but harper texas had a little dance hall it's not far from garner state park um it was a lot like arky blues a little bit bigger it's not underground um but it was one of those places where i could just i'm like you know low light i don't want to be able to see good i don't want to be able to hear other people talk distinctly yeah i want to be able to drink beer and disappear and yeah. just soak in no, you it's know so important yeah lighting so many people get yeah. the lighting wrong you got to have a lounge it the lighting is so important to just like you said i want to i want to sit in a booth i want to feel relaxed where i can have a real conversation with somebody with not with somebody i know no one's listening in on me so i don't have to censor what i'm saying uh i can i can get i can get deeper than just superficial conversation and um yeah like those those like lakewood landings like that Mm -hmm. you know where is Harper? What is Harper? Harper's at? down Hill Country. Garner State Park is a famous old state park. They have a dance hall in the state park, and they have nightly dances. Uh-huh. Um, I think when uh, I think when Robert O'Keen's doing the uh, No Kind of Dancer, he's talking about Garner State Park. Um, um, tried hard to tell you, mm-hmm. no yeah. kind of dancer. but that that was a good one. Um, Arky Blues, Dixie Chicken, Pitar. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all. I, I don't know if the Pitar is still there. They're out in uh, Fort McCavitt, Texas. We used to hunt in Sonor- south of Sonora, closer to Mexico, right by uh, Devil's River State Natural Area for most of my life. And uh, you go through Fort McCavitt, Texas. There's an old restored fort, mm-hmm. a post office, and a bar. And uh, and the neon lights, that fort, during the daytime, you can see that limestone fort for miles. At night, you can see those neon beer signs just for miles. And it just draws you in, but the last time we went by, it was it was not open. So I think my my plan is to get all this stuff working in Athens, Texas, good enough, so I can go out and reopen the Fort McCavitt beer joint because that would be. Was it not open because of Corona, or was it not? I open don't know because of uh, it, before that. It may have been before that, yeah. So. Uh, but it's right. There's a bunch of big ranches, private hunting and everything right there. But it was one of those places like where you walk in, maybe six people. Um, the whole structure is not entirely sound. 
I don't know if there's windows in yeah. all of it. You know, it's just a really cool old beer joint. So the uh, second podcast I had, I had Patrick Spruill on, and we talked about Austin, a lot of different yeah. places. I don't think we mentioned the cloakroom, though. Yeah. <clears throat> so when I was at Fort Hood, before and after I went to Afghanistan, we would go to Austin and go to the cloakroom. And the cloakroom was on a on a road just west of the Capitol building. And there was no signs. Only mm-hmm. the sign that said it, it had a had a finger pointing downstairs, and it said bar. Hmm. And you would go down these stairs on the side of the building. So it was in the basement of some building. Badass jukebox. You go in there, and the the drink of the place was like a Colorado bulldog. Oh yeah. Which was a white Russian. Yeah. With a splash of Coca Cola on top. Right. Um, which you know, if you can't stomach any milk, then you can't have this thing. But. That was a badass place, and apparently, you know, legislators from the the Texas House would go there and and have cigars and and drink after in session and whatnot. But it was a cool place that not anybody knew about. The lighting was impeccable. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of one of those unknown spots. Uh, definitely not a bar on Sixth Street or anything. And then, of course, Deep Eddie Cabaret. We talked about that in, the, yeah. in that podcast, but. There's a good one on uh, Highway 21. It's an old. It's in the the dance halls, beer joints, and that book yeah. that we looked at. Um, I've been in there a few times. It's between. Uh, let's see. It's before you get to Bastrop, so it's between Bastrop and Caldwell, I think. Um, kind of between College Station and Austin, mm-hmm. and it's an old um, Quonset Hut style building maybe like an old dairy barn or something but it's got an old old dance floor and old bar and dark as hell when you walk in there in the middle of the day and just just glorious just really good place to sit and drink beer you know and we're ranging kind of far but Flo and I went up to uh west side Manhattan back in she got me a we went on a trip to see some friends from Uganda or that we worked with in Uganda up there a few years back and there's a bar up kind of close to the village called the Slaughtered Lamb. Yep. It was when we were up there, it was 17 degrees. We were meeting up with a few different groups of people we worked with in Uganda and just wanted to hang out. Tried all these jazz clubs under, you know, down in basements. They're all packed and really high cover charge and everything. We were just freezing. Want to get someplace. Found this place. It wasn't packed or anything. We walked in. There's a full size, like eight foot tall. Uh, werewolf holding a dead lady when you walk in the door yeah. they had a fireplace nice, nice touch. yeah nice touch yeah. really classy had a had a fireplace with mm-hmm. a fire in it and really cheap pitchers of beer dark light we sat there for probably three or four hours just mm-hmm. drinking cheap pitchers of beer and reliving and talking about new life and it's places like that where you can just sit c.s lewis said that basically i'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, you know, philosopher and uh, author and everything, mm-hmm. said basically that governments, institutions, wars, churches, schools, all of that stuff, all these big things exist so that two friends can share a pint in a pub. And if they don't make that enjoyable type of life happen, what good are they? You know? Yeah. And so I think it's important. I think it's important to have a good place to have a beer and you know, living in the Bible Belt, then sometimes that can be kind of disparaged or whatever. But it's hard to find wh- whether it's a beer or a rib or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think it's 
it's that's important. Yeah. Well, we found it tonight. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here on this podcast at the uh, Lost Cody Ranch Bar. So, Boog, you've said it all. We haven't covered everything that I wanted to get to, <laughs> so you have to come back for the next one. Yeah. Pretty soon. Um. Thanks for being on here. Thanks for having me. It was really a blast. <laughs> it was. It was good. Uh, so, if you would, go to Atticus & Co. Modern Goods in Athens and shop. Uh, if you need surveying done, go to Hearn Surveying. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. And I'll have Boog back and we'll talk more about uh, Ultra Running, CrossFit, Texas A&M, and Atticus and & Co. Um, thanks, man. It was fun. I, yeah. I had a blast. Murphy's been here the whole time. He's only interrupted sure. it three or four times. <laughs> Murph also passed gas a couple times. So um, Yes, that was Murph. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you would like to sponsor the Sam Dean Podcast, please hit me up on email, vzfitatme.com, or send us a message on any social media, Instagram or Facebook. I really appreciate you guys listening. Have a great night. Bye-bye.